So along the topic of fraud, all right. <laughs> but not, but not really, but not really. Okay. So I'm. For those of you listening at home, it was spicier before we started. Yeah. Uh. So I, I was talking to a friend of mine who dual majored in economics and math. Why? Because he hates himself. All right. But he he did some classes in the business school, obviously, for those one of those majors, economics. I'm pretty sure. And I was talking to him about one of the main issues that indie studios face in my mind is that they plunge themselves into debts with investors or whatever on the hope that their game can make money back, which realistically your first game most likely is not going to make money for you, right? Like you'll be, unless you're really lucky and it hits big and you get viral or whatever, it's, it's highly, highly unlikely that you're going to make money back. Which means you're starting your industry out in this massive amounts of debt from an investor. I started to talk to him about, I think that there should be ways for you to like diversify your assets is basically what we started talking about. And we got along the topic of what if we wanted to do like some sort of like lounge cafe thingy, not, not with COVID, right? That, like, sold, you know, some nice drinks. And he was like, Amanda, are you suggesting a speakeasy? And then he paused and he was like, a speakeevil, if you would. And I was like, you know, with that name, I'm down. Let's just, let's do an underground, an underground bar. We'll call it the speakeevil and it'll be fantastic. So that way, when your games aren't making money, you can maybe profit off of the speakeevil. That's where I was gone. That's all. That's all I have. I thought the name was gold. Brilliant. But... The name, the name is, is great. The idea is shaky. I yeah, agree. I need so. Um, the The issue is, is that like, I need to find a way to provide stable income, and like, Twitch can give some of that, but not nearly enough, right? Mm-hmm. But then you also have to account if you div- if you diversify into like a cafe or anything, you have to then account for costs to keep that running, all the licenses to do it, people to pay to run it, and etc. And is the profit that you're going to make in turn after doing all that? worth it to fund into the studio for anything you know it's always no. a, well depends right but so i have an idea well the problem go ahead uh okay sorry to cut you off but how i've seen it done i, I think the chill is art people do this um they like make a i think they're two japanese brothers that make like a string of horror games i think it's just those two people can't be 100 percent sure because i can't read japanese but they sell their assets Weeb. that they make for games i'm pretty sure um so they're not only profiting off of the eventual release of the game but the specific assets that they're creating um specifically for unity they put up on the marketplace and resell i think if we were able to make like any tools that would be useful from a game we could look into doing that as well but still Mm. that's not like a it's not as stable as you want it to be yeah but it is like it is something that the team is capable of doing. It's just like finding out a way to try and stabilize income as an indie studio is hard. It's a puzzle. I mean, I think the, so the trap with the restaurant thing, I know about this because my sister's is a pastry chef. Uh, we used to talk about it all the time where you have somebody who has a particular talent, right? In this case, making games, but in her case, it was baking. Right. And you open up a bakery or a cafe or a whatever, Right to facilitate this art and then you spend 90% of your time running this thing that's supposed to be at most 20% of your time yeah because it's it's the um I forget the name of it it's a particular fallacy in which because you're good at one thing this other thing appears easy and then when you get in there you're like oh gosh this is really its own animal yeah, right? and the, yeah, and that's the thing is that like, like I said, it's keeping it up and running, and all the money and effort and time that would go into it would it be worth it? Um, but something has to be done to like stabilize your income as an indie studio without plunging yourself into debt with an investor. Because I I think that's why a good portion of indie studios fail is because they get a lot of money from investors, or they set their budget too high, get too much money, and then their game never makes it back. Yeah. I mean, you're absolutely right. I, I was researching this a bit um, like two weeks ago. And that seems to be the uh, the pitfall is the first game comes out and you get an influx of money 
and then sometimes they'll overscope on development and that kills it before the second project. But usually, yeah. you know, just like everybody's second album isn't as good as their first, the idea that you've sat on probably for a decade letting brew in your head is never going to be as good as the idea that you had to crank out in two years to keep positive cash flow. With right. the exception of Metallica, that's okay. true. There are definitely exceptions. Um, hey, I'm just saying Ride the Lightning is definitely better than Not Gold. a big Metallica fan. But yeah, it's so they I'm end up now. you know floundering on the second game a lot of times if they don't find funding for the third or get picked up by a larger publisher or something like that because there's just no way to generate the cash flow that you've either overscoped yeah. and overspent or that you never had to begin with. Yeah. And I hope that like once Evil Cracks gets their first game released, uh you can then start picking up contracts from people outside the game industry because those are a significantly more stable than gaming contracts. Uh, uh, again, what what kind of like if you could get, if a company comes to you and like if I if we release Sam and we say Sam is fully designed compatible for any mobile device, we did the UI for it, we did all the hookup, we did the server side connections, like full development in house. Mm. You put that out there, even if it's a game. If a company comes to you and says, "I need an app for this." You could say, great, here's a mobile app that we've built from scratch that has this many reviews online, that has this many downloads that we built by ourselves. And like you can try and get contracts that are outside the gaming industry for stuff like that, which typically are more stable. Yeah. Yeah. Especially like larger companies that may not be as tech advanced, which are a lot. <laughs> can, I ask, can I ask the ugly question? Yeah. Is this, is this a... Is the goal here to build a successful studio or is the goal here to build a stable business? Uh, so I would like it to be a stable business that I no longer have to do other things outside of Google Quest. Okay. But there are, that, there, path, that path makes a ton of sense. Then. Yes. Yeah. There are a lot of barriers to get there. And right. No, but you understand where I'm, where I'm coming from, where I'm like, if the goal is to make really good art, that's a very dangerous road you're taking. Right. If the goal yes. is to make a stable business that becomes your full-time job, that's a very smart play. Yes. So that so that is my plan. And then hopefully that if you get like a firm fixed cost or you have a little bit left money left over from contracts, right? That you can then choose to spend. You can then funnel it into like projects the studio or the team actually want to make. And then do like a game too or whatever or design a game that has transactions or that has easy updates to stabilize that income as well. But I think like you can't just focus on games, which is a sad thing because it's so it's one big like gambling risk, right? Because games take so much money to make and the risk of it not succeeding is so high. So you need you need something that's more stable to reach out to. I, um, That's what I'm thinking about. I, if I could play devil's advocate here kind of for a minute. Yeah. Can you do one without the other, though? Can you have like a a studio that makes good art without that stable business? Yes, because you can do it without it becoming your full-time job. Yeah. And then your primary concern is releasing good art pieces, essentially, to the terms that you set for each piece without really being worried about it. Take, for example, Emily is Away, like a perennial favorite of ours to discuss. Yeah. Right? If your primary concern is to make the best game possible within reasonable time constraints, blah, 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 then you're not worried about where you're drawing your paycheck because your paycheck's coming from somewhere else. So the business goes through a year where you don't make any money and you pay all whatever fees you have to pay based upon your registration out of pocket, who cares? Right. Because your concern is, this is a thing I do to create art, not a really serious business I'm running. Right. And and this is where I think, too, the, the question of bringing, when do you bring in the suit? Right. right. Because at some point, you need a suit. Somebody has to do all that stuff, and it's not going to be you, long term. I guess that's sorry. Go ahead. I mean, if you're looking to make games, if you're worried about running a business, that can be you. In which case, you should probably take an MBA or some crash courses in that sort of stuff. Right. I I think I always thought about it as the reverse because I've got the suit hanging up in my closet. I if you know 
I know we did like a background episode at one point, but just as a refresher, I started in business and then went to games. So I've always thought about it as like you you get the business stable and then you will have the opportunity to make the art that you want. Right. And I, I get that. But understand that even though one of my closest friends is a CFO and a bunch of my other friends are bankers and business people and whatnot, when you tell me, hey, the suit's coming in, my knee-jerk reaction is to hiss at you. (laughs) (laughs) Because I'm an MFA, and seriously, those guys, what do they know about this? Yeah, that's fair. And generally, you are correct. I I have a particular affinity based on my work and, you know, education history. Like, I was... TAing for the econ um, por- portion of the business school before I even knew what Unity was. So, oh my god, I think that there's a way to figure it out. Um, the way I described though, where you start from the business and then you find the art later. Like I, I like to think of Blue Point. Um, these are the people that made the uh, the Shadow of the Colossus remaster, and um, more recently. Uh, like Demon Souls, it's just like they they started. I'm looking at their history of games right now. They started just by you know making ports, like remastered ports of games, and then nowadays like they've become known as like the premier studio for porting and remastering old titles. Um, well, they found a niche in the marketplace. They did, and then they were able to sort of like. Fun story, there's a board game equivalency to that called Restoration Games. Oh, yeah, they did the Dark Tower stuff. Dark Tower, Fireball Island, Stop Thief, a couple others. Yeah, I mean, I I definitely, my my project advisor for school right now was a a dev for for Blue Point, so I have a particular affinity for them because he's the man. But, uh, like, they do some fantastic work, and it seems like they've really found the way to like inject their art into like a business reliable portion of the gaming industry. So I guess for me, I know that when like, when you guys are talking about art, you mean expressing or doing like having your own, I want to say agency into a project and like what you create and what I'm not done talking, sir. Uh, or striving to make something that is like impactful or whatever instead of just for the money. Mm-hmm. Um, I think for me, I this is more of a personal thing, but I can still see passion or adding a spin or doing a good mobile app for a company, even if it's not a game. It would not be considered art right because there's no like emotion behind it but i don't think it's like sell your soul and do this crappy work uh i think it's all about how you approach it and how you handle it and how much you want to deal with clients boy do i deal with clients all the time yeah yeah i i guess when i'm using the word art i'm thinking about like a guy sitting behind his computer screen that has an idea in his head like for a a moral um to convey and is making a game specifically for that purpose yeah with like an emotion and thought behind it yeah Um, yeah mazzy you you want to say something well no i wanted to clarify that so you mean that in like the i have a story to tell context or the like i'm actually telling a moral story with a particular point like a fable or a I, I mean, I think of moral stories because that's kind of where I like to live. But um, I think it could be, you know, like a fable or anything. But just like I have a... I'm, I'm not finding the word. I don't know. Help me out here. So so when I say art, I actually uh, apply... Coleridge, I believe it's Coleridge. Please don't let me misquote this on a podcast. It'd be so embarrassing. Um... <laughs> ideal of art where you're, you're undertaking a creative endeavor with the legitimate intent to create something that is transcendent and Colbert's basically i'm, I'm going to paraphrase this so academics in the audience please forgive um there's 
basically tier two art or high art where you do transcend. There's tier one art where you made an honest attempt, but it didn't work, which is where most good things end. And then there's what uh, he essentially called Flights of Fancy, which are shovelware, or I'm doing this to make money, and it doesn't really matter to me if the, the caricature I draw for my job at the amusement park is good or not. I just need to draw something passable to churn out the customers, and it doesn't make a difference to me otherwise. Um, so when I say art, I mean the intent to make the the intent to make high art, to make something transcendent or sublime that you're not terribly concerned about any of the other aspects of it, though that doesn't mean you're unconcerned about them either, obviously. Did I answer that as complicatedly as possible? You did. I was um, attempting to find the tiers, although it, it is like not something that you can really Google without just like reading direct source. It is like apparently a very obscure academic idea. To be fair, I do have three master's degrees, right? Gotta use them for something. <laughs> no, I mean like, but that that's where it comes from for me. <laughs> Let me get my monocle real quick. Hold on. <laughs> so... I think it's hard whenever you're going in, like Mazio said, to being a successful business and be able to only do art because, unfortunately, art is so undervalued <laughs> in modern times. I, and, um, sorry, I, I didn't, I thought you were done. Go on. Well, I was, no, no, you're good. Go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, I was at um, this uh, Van Gogh thing in uh, in Florida recently where it was sort of this, um, like inter not interactive, but immersive experience where they projected a bunch of his paintings on the wall and there was like an edited video that went with it and it displayed these quotes. And one of the ones that stuck with me really hard was um, something to the effect of one day I believe people will recognize that there is more value in my work than the price of the oils. Mm -hmm. I, I think that's kind of the idea that we're dancing around that like it is the genuine pursuit of something greater than the sum of its parts. Then like, you know, the gestalt I think is the correct term for it work. Um, as opposed to I'm going to take a contract to port a game and I don't care what goes into it. And it's just, I'm making this to the requirements that I need to. Right. Whether or not it hits the transcendent tier or not is almost independent of what you do, right? Because it's like, you could try your absolute best with all of your knowledge and just not hit that. But the determination of whether or not you're going to try is already putting you in that second tier. Um, so it's almost like the bottom tier is not art and the top two are. Or at least they're artful pursuits as opposed to not even trying. So that would be the maybe, distinguishing factor for me. Maybe instead of art, I'm thinking of like finding beauty in what you do, which is something different. Where like, I can find beauty in some code that I write, even though it is not generally considered art. There is a, you would say how they handled that code was artful, but they don't mean that it was art. It means that it was like skill or how you did it or, or like, you know, Mazio, when you say that, uh, I think in a previous podcast, or maybe it was the one that didn't get recorded. When you watch Tom Brady on the field, even though you hate him, it's still beautiful to watch him play and execute those, right? Yes. Even though that, like, even though, uh, the common man wouldn't say that's art. Right, but there is beauty in what they're doing, and the skill or passion or whatever however you want to describe it. Right? That's fair, yeah. Mm. So maybe that's what I'm thinking of. So maybe when I say that, I don't see a difference in if we take a contract with a company who really wants a mobile app, if we handle it to the same level of seriousness or passion or drive as we would a game and produce quality results. Like, to me, there's still beauty in how we handle it, even if it isn't for 
the pursuit of what is traditionally considered art. Does that make sense? It yeah, does. I think the pursuit of beauty is absolutely valid. Yeah. Yeah, you don't have to do things my way for like. Well, that's not fair either. I take that back. You don't. You don't have to to push everything in that direction. There is a lot to be said for what you've described. Hmm. Think of it like um. If you put it in the context of food, it makes sense. It helps, right? A really well executed burger is beautiful. Yeah. But is that really art? By the standard best... definition of the masses. <laughs> well, not just that, but there are. I mean, there are essentially aesthetic competitions in the culinary world. Yeah, for plating. The, for plating, and then there's the. Um, oh my gosh! I think I want to say it's the MFA. It's the pastry competition in France. This oh. Incredible. There's a great couple of great documentaries on it. Mm -hmm. Um where they do have to produce art pieces made of sugar. Yeah. Sponge sugar. And, yeah, and they're not easy. Like it's one of yeah. the hardest competitions in the world. So that is that art? Like, oh yeah, I'd say the 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 competition is art and the burger is beautiful. Unless of course you made a burger out of sugar. <laughs> I think we're gonna dance around like the topic of like what is, how do you quantify art what what is art and that's such a difficult question to answer. <laughs> it's not can. just a statue. It's not just a painting, right? It's not just a story or a poem. But maybe we could boil that down a little for games. Um, like, what games would we consider like genuine pursuits of art? And what is maybe not in that category? I mean, we've already talked about Emily is Away, which I would consider as well a pursuit of art. I'd throw Gone Home in there. Fair on both counts for me. Um, and then I'm going to say NBA 2K21 was not. <laughs> I don't know if that's a controversial take. I really hope it's not. Because if it is, you're dumb. But I'm going to say it's not. <laughs> so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put it up in I guess this makes me very old, but I'm gonna put it up in very old <laughs> terms. Mario I thought you were just three. Gonna stop at very old. I'm gonna put it in very old. Very old. And then just doze off like. <laughs> and then just snore the rest of the podcast in the background. No. Um. Super Mario Brothers Two is a beautiful game, but it's not art. There's a whole story behind it that you can look it up. It's it was it was kind of an amalgam of things and a bit of a Frankenstein's monster that gets the job done but doesn't really work the way Super Mario Brothers 3 does, which to me is the first time I encountered a video game as art was Super Mario Brothers 3. Mm -hmm. Where you just looked at it and it was technically beautiful and it played like a dream and it had all this cool stuff built into it and at the same time it was it was one of those moments where everybody kind of experienced it it gained a lot of benefit from um from a zeitgeist moment where if you're from that era you very likely played super mario brothers 3 several times it's probably my most played game because i had bronchitis and pneumonia quite a bit back then and i would play that game for weeks a week at a time right it's sort of a weird line where there are people that will say they like Super Mario 2 over Super Mario 3, and that's fine, right? And then there are people that will tell you that Super Mario World is better, but to me, Super Mario World, which came out on, I hope I'm saying that right, on the SNES, SNES. feels like, yeah, the Super Nintendo, um, feels like a rehash updated version of Super Mario 3. And it's beautiful, and it's a wonderful game, and it has Yoshi in it, and that counts for something. But is it the same? No. Hmm. Not for me. But again, it is subjective. In That's the same true. context, you look at um, 
I want to say Animal Crossing, right? I doubt many people would argue against the premise that it's beautiful, but is it art or did COVID, and, and this is my honest opinion, COVID made that game transcendent. The Among Us? Well, Among Us as well. Oh, But okay. Animal Crossing, New Horizons. Oh, yeah. Was elevated from a very good attempt to honestly transcendent and sublime art by virtue of the circumstances of its time. And there's yeah. nothing wrong with that either, which is why I'm still mad that it didn't win Game of the Year. Still angry. Maybe my... Let me think of words before I start speaking. Personally, for me, I think that if you can feel the passion or something was put... I don't want to sound corny and say that like something was made with love, right? But like I, I think there is a significant difference if a game or book or painting was made with blood sweat and tears with passion or soul with soul there we go in it um and i think to me whenever you can feel that you can feel the effort or the passion or some emotion was put into it then it becomes art for me and i think then when they have any recreations of that if that is missing from the recreations, if they say just took it and retextured it and didn't put any additional care into how the mechanics translate from an older system to this system to try and preserve the experience or whatever, like they didn't give it the, they they lost the soul along the way. They lost something along the way. Then it, it stops being art and it starts becoming someone trying to almost like copyright or poorly mimic what you previously experienced. Does that make sense? Does that make sense? It does. Yeah. It becomes kind of a flight of fancy. Yeah. Similarly corny line coming in here. Um, beauty, and I guess, you know, the judge of what is art is very related to that concept, is really in the eye of the beholder more so than anything else. Because I, like, I'm thinking about what I said about NBA a minute ago. And if you sat 13-year-old me down in front of NBA 2K21, I guarantee you I'd enjoy it 100%. I wouldn't be as critical of it because I don't know the things that I know now, um, maybe about like some of the business practices or loot boxes and stuff. Um, but it would, it would absolutely absorb a lot of my time. Um, and I think I'd probably argue that it was like a fantastic creation. Hmm. Maybe some things can't be appreciated fully until you know a little bit more about them. Is that maybe where we're going? Or you've brought in uh, your horizons or? I'm going to quote Keats if I can. Beauty is truth. Truth, beauty. That is all. Ye know on earth and all you need to know. I'm going to break that down. You know this when you see it, right? And what is beautiful to you now may not be what was beautiful to you before. It's definitely something that changes with age, right? Like, think about your favorite candy bar from when you were a kid, and how... The flaws become apparent over time, or your tastes simply change, right? And you just kind of stop doing this thing or that thing, and you move on. Also, I'm not going to be able to break down all of Keats, because I'm not that good at poetry. No, that's, that's fine. It makes sense. I feel like the whole conversation revolves around, like, Ode to a Grecian Urn, and I'm totally not prepared <laughs> to discuss it. I don't know what it is, so I'm also unprepared. So, maybe we, maybe I revise it to... Something has... You can tell when something has soul in it, but that has to connect with you somehow on a person. Like, you have to have some, some personal connection to it. 
even even if it's just like I read this book and the trials and faces or whatever they had in this book hit me in a different way than another book would. And it was well written. To me, that is art for at this current time period, right? But say I went on in life and I had different experiences and now maybe that book is out of touch to me or not as relatable as it was to me before. Would I still view it in the same light? And this kind of goes along with like your taste change or your opinions and your views change. Yeah, you grow. Yeah. So whether or not art connects with you on some... Again, this is going to sound so corny. Some like spiritual level uh, is what makes it art to you or not. Yeah. Show me on your soul where it touched you. (laughs) I was an adventurer like you until I took an arrow to my soul. Ugh. What a great line to hear 90 million (laughs) times times. on six different platforms. I mean, uh, I I fully agree. Like I was I was in the the car with my roommate the other day, and we were we were driving back from somewhere, and I played him um, the song. Uh, it's like zero 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 million by uh, Bon Iver, which I think is potentially his best song lyrically. And I will not fight anyone about that because I'm not very confident in that that opinion changes. And it just didn't resonate with him at all, and he didn't like it. Um, and even though for me, like the, the lyrics are extremely impactful, you know, really talk about what it means to be like a self-aware human for him. It just, it, it bounced right off and it didn't make that connection. And I don't imagine he would listen to the song again. Um, so in this case, like what is art? It it is so, so unbelievably subjective where, I mean, you might have a large populace of people that point to that, but you might have a larger populace like my roommate that just don't frankly care. doesn't matter. Some people don't like walking sims. Some people love NBA. I don't know. I think this kind of relates to what I previously said, where art isn't really highly valued in modern times, or at least as much as it was back during like Renaissance, right? And you see it a lot with online artists, digital artists, who personally, I've seen some create work that I really think should be preserved in a museum somewhere. Like, the, it, it's just gorgeous. Uh, but they're not held, like, they're not recognized as such. Mostly because the art, mm, the art museum world is, like, a giant scam with money. But... It, I, I think it's just sad. You have a lot of people creating beautiful things that either don't resonate or isn't as highly valued in our culture anymore. Like they started, when I was still at school, they talked about taking out art classes because they weren't providing the students of any value. Wait, really? Like, yeah. what, what school are we talking about? Like, high college? School. Oh, high school. High school. Yeah, Same there was question. a similar conversation in mine. Which is ridiculous. It is. It is completely absurd. It's the same thing with, like, my opinion with cursive, where it's like, ah, you don't need it. I'm like, you don't, like, need it in quotes in the way you need food and air, but you do need it. Yeah. And I think there is a lot in what you said. Are we becoming a group of people where, you know, we're comfortable and our stomachs are full, but our souls are empty? And I fear that answer is Pretty well, yes. There was a poll, a picture of a poll going around on social media, which, disclaimer, I can't verify how these people were polled or responses gathered. Uh, But it was a survey about what jobs do you consider to be the most useless? Uh, An artist, of course, was up there. And it's so, like... There's such a big, I almost think, like, disconnect between people. You have a massive amount of people consuming media 
who need to consume it, who like after a long day of work, what do they do? Majority of people sit down and watch a Netflix show or listen to a music or pick up a book to like, and it, and it fulfills like a need in them. But they, but they don't understand that you need artists, you need people creating to give you those things to fulfill this need. Or they don't see it as fulfilling a need that it actually is. Right? Like if you look at someone and you say, all right, you don't want any artists anymore. We're taking away all TV shows, taking away all books. You don't have any paintings in your house. You, like you live in a cement block. Hmm. They would probably be pretty surprised. Yeah. And I, agree. and I think if you took that drastic measure, they would be like, well, wait, like I need this or like I have no way to relax or unwind or entertain myself or whatever have you, right? You there there's something that's missing. But this- without doing those drastic measures, I don't think they like connect the dots that like you need it. These are artists creating this. This is a creative community providing this to you that you use, that you desperately need during like troubling times or even just normal times. Have either of you guys seen the uh, the Netflix show Shit's Creek? I don't know if it originated on Netflix. What is it now? I've not. It, it I need not to watch it. Been, it's, it's been recommended to me like 20 times. It's hilarious. Uh, I've been watching it with my mother and sister who for the record are not like they're not people that you would you know catch on a sunday in an art museum or like you know listening to bon Iver or anything these are you know just you know normal normal people they, that interest doesn't lie with them but there's a character in the show that they always end up comparing me to it's a son and i, I forget his name off the top of my head but he's very much he like tries to be a tastemaker and I, I just, I, I feel for his plight so much because, it, you know, he's a caricature of like a, a New York socialite and kind of a jerk a lot of the times. But he desperately is trying to like bring uh, like fashion to the town and nobody recognizes the value in it because he's so far into the fringe uh, that nobody can get it. And, like, the Blouse Barn is, like, the most popular clothing store, which just sells, like, these terrible, terrible pieces of clothing. And he ends up trying to take it over and bring all these, like, fashion-type stuff into there, like, really edgy clothes. And it just – it doesn't really work. Um, uh-huh. But I think the point of it that sometimes is lost is that, like, he is a necessary component of society. Um those tastes end up getting distilled down to consumer products, but without him, there is nothing to distill. And it's like this hilarious ongoing joke in the show that he is this character that does actually contain tons of valuable information, but he doesn't know how to convey it to the populace of the town. And, you know, likewise, you've got, you know, a more obvious connection now where, artists like Bon Iver are featuring on Taylor Swift albums. And it's sort of making that connection for a lot of people where you have Taylor Swift, which is a huge pop icon and Bon Iver, which is this, like sometimes extremely edgy. Um, I hesitate to say indie, but you get where I'm coming from artist where his music is not very accessible to a lot of people and is sometimes very off putting. It's not something I'm putting on the car with my dad. He's not gonna, he's not gonna like that. Um, but there's a need. Taylor Swift can't exist without Bon Iver, and the Blouse Barn can't exist without the edgy fashion. And then likewise, it's a reverse as well, I think. I bet you could probably say without the Blouse Barn buoying that industry, there's no way you could fund those artistic pursuits, those sort of like vanguard explorations. Yeah, that cycle would break down. Yeah, it's this sort of codependent relationship. And I bet you we could draw that back to games where, I mean, literally the connection I want to make is Bioshock Infinite and Gone Home, where the devs have gone home, a large a couple of them met working on Bioshock Infinite, which is a very, very mainstream game. Um, but the foundations of what Gone Home became originated in there. 
But likewise, you could not have had Bioshock Infinite be as good as it was, in my opinion. And I'm, I know people <laughs> would fight me on that one. Um, without those people existing as well. Like you have people that are trained in traditional arts working on that game, making it as good as it was. And then those people then going out and making that more fringe type of art. It's like a codependence that I think we often overlook. My brain keeps going, while you were talking, keeps going, you need someone to take the first step or someone to jump. Um, you need someone brave enough to go try new things first so that we can continue to evolve and advance as, uh, I don't want to say species, but like in general. You need someone who's out there making new weird stuff right now that's not really in the modern. I don't want to say zeitgeist. Modern eye. Whatever you want to call it. I think like maybe popular. Yeah. Pop culture. Popular uh, view or general public view. Yeah. So that we can keep creating and advancing. You need someone to step in and say we can do this differently or we can do it better or I have a new idea, like why don't we do this or that? Um, which is something that I think that is also disconnected is that even in jobs like engineering, you still need to be creative. There still needs to be some spark of an artist or creativity in you to keep advancing what we do. You can't just keep making crap that already exists, right? Yeah, but that's a terrible place to be, personally. Like Engineering? Uh, no, or being I'm, at the I'm forefront. Being at the forefront. Like, I'm thinking of, like, Kafka, who essentially, like, died in obscurity only for his work to catch on, you know, after his death. After death. And that yeah. happens so many times, I think, with a bunch of artists. Van Gogh. Don't ask me to name them. Yeah. But yeah. Like, well, back to the original example. I, I also got the quote wrong. I just found it. But like it, it's mostly correct. The, the moral was there. But, you know, these people that push the boundaries so hard, but it's so ahead of what the, the zeitgeist will understand that they will just die in obscurity. And likewise, you, you, we're talking about indie studios going under financially and like maybe this is part of the problem that you, there is not money in pushing those bounds. I mean, I think not when it comes to is, games. No, I don't think when it comes to most things. Yeah. Is that part of the problem, or is that just part of how this, on some unconscious level, functions? I would lean towards the latter. There. Like, for better or for worse. Yeah. I mean, it might be selfish, but I certainly don't want to be... Uh, be Kafka. I would prefer to be Disney in that situation. If I, if you gotta choose, I mean, you could pick a more reasonably wealthy person, but like you know, somebody recycling fairy tales and you know making them accessible to the public—that is the much more desirable position. Like I'd, I'd take the Blue Point or uh, was that? Yeah, did I get the name right? Blue Point. Yeah, what, the ports um, over trying to like pioneer and dealing with the insane hardship of that like i don't know actually that, that's that's a tough question maybe it isn't so black and white well, i think it comes down to what do you want what are you looking to do yeah well i think that i kind of want to sit in some of the things we talked about in this Aftershocks. Yeah. Because mm -hmm. I think while talking about this, we've brought up some really big questions and points to come back to or to like sit and think on. Agreed. Hmm. I imagine in some time I will 180 this position. <laughs> I'm willing to commit to an idea like, yeah. <laughs> Kafka making art sucks and then next week he'll be like I must be in the vanguard 
<laughs> and the only difference is your hair will be over your eyes in one scenario and not in the other. Can I put my hair over my eyes? I don't think so. It's not long enough anymore. I don't know. COVID. I, I haven't, cu- I haven't your, gotten like, my ankles. hair cut in like a year. Over a year. I think at this point. Can your hair go over your eyes, Amanda? Yeah, they can very easily. Can so, your hair go over so your whole I, face? So I think uh, for people who don't know me IRL, senior year, I got um, half of my head like shaved in a style. Not really half, like the lower right side, I guess my head shaved and then like it, there was no part right it just flipped over on one side so COVID's a perfect time to grow that out but that means that like my left side of my hair and like most of my head is like super long right now and the right side is like just barely hitting my shoulder and so it's a, it's always an experiment whenever I go out in public which is very rare uh for me to be like do I do I try and put it all up in a ponytail and hope nobody notices that it's like extremely out balance? Do I clip back this overgrown side? Do I just wear a hat? Do I just say it? Do I just wear the dirtiest clothes I can find, talk to myself, and stare and randomly shuffle. at rocks and shuffle around? Oh. COVID, man. Uh, and that's what I just wanted to chat about. Today, I know we wanted to talk about esports, but nah, this is better. Talk about esports if you want. This yeah, I, more, like this I think this is time. better. Yeah, for sure. Oh no, I wasn't recording the whole thing. No, we're good. We're good. <laughs> I didn't fuck up this time. Oh, <laughs> uh, I switched to audacity. Stunning appearance on his last podcast for a while. Oh my god, doesn't even appear in it. It was oh. so meta. My mind was blown. There was a story about me throwing up in an Uber. It was great. <laughs> we'll get back to that. I'm so sad. I'll find another way to bring that up. I mean, I got a, I got a ton of dumb drunk stories uh, that we could talk about. So I'll, Jake, I'll find a way to fit it in. Jake, since uh, this is your last episode for a while, unless you want to come around for an aftershock, maybe. Uh, yeah, I'm definitely up in the air on that one. But generally, yeah, I'm, I'm gonna be. You, do you want to say bye to the ducklings? I do, I do. Um, yeah, so I'm gonna be on a little bit of a hiatus for a little while, but I'd say, I guess, to you guys, because I don't, I don't really know any of the ducklings, but I guess, hello, if you're there, and <laughs> cool if you've, you know, liked or identified with anything that I've said thus far. Hopefully, maybe, maybe not. But yeah, no, I guess to you guys, this is this for a while has been really, really fucking fun. Like, um, and I feel like we've gotten to a point where we can actually really explore some issues and, you know, it was, it was not easy to get here, like where we are now. Um, but I'm glad that we did. And I think hopefully for me, for sure, but hopefully for you guys as well, this has really opened up the way that I think about video games and, um, just, you know, breaking down topics and exploring stuff. This has been a valuable experience. I hope maybe for somebody listening to, um, maybe it's helped them, but yeah, mostly to you guys. This has been awesome. And, you know, thank you for having me. We're very excited for you to eventually come back, even though Mazio said that he wants to replace you with another Jake. Yeah, let's, you know. <laughs> I actually thought we could just replace, replace him with whoever would come in and just call <laughs> that person Just call Jake. them Jake. All the guests we have. Why is yeah. my name Jake? Just go with it. Just go with it. <laughs> Listen, if you tell Mazio anything other than your name is Jake, it's going to be a nightmare in there. <laughs> So you decided this is a two-hour recording or a four-hour recording, but it hinges on you responding to the word Jake. <laughs> and alluding uh, to crimes constantly. Uh, yeah. But honestly, uh, thanks so much for being willing to do this, Jake. Um, I know that like when we were in school and we were in Matthew's class, you and I didn't interact all that much. Mm-hmm. Mostly because I was too busy with one senior project, which was a hell pit, and also disliking the people across the room from well, me <laughs> well well i didn't know this i didn't know this but there were like three factions in that room that despised each other yep uh-huh. and like the Jake, room to me always felt really me. tense there was Jake who was awkwardly shuffling between a few like who do i join today? i knew nobody in the room i was sitting there i was like oh my god everybody hates each other hates what is going on <laughs> Senior project. Oh That's and then, going and on. no one would tell me. No one would. I would be there, like, so what's wrong? And then, like, if one group, like, I would bring in donuts, and one group would get donuts, and then no one else would eat them. And I'm like, <laughs> I guess they don't like donuts. I don't. 
Yeah, I didn't realize I was like committing to a faction when I picked up a Boston cream. That was <laughs> that was a bit of a yikes. <laughs> yeah. Um, but we didn't really talk much in school. But the podcast has been really fun, and thanks so much for I guess Mazio for connecting both Jake and I, and for all the effort that we as a group have put into making this podcast a thing. You know? I really appreciate yeah. it. Oh. It has been fun. Yeah, and you know, likewise, thank you for bringing me in on that. Give me the opportunity to do it. Because, you know, you can do it, but it ain't fun to do it by yourself. So, as much <laughs> as Mazio brings everybody together, <laughs> like, you do a ton of work in providing us a place to talk. Um, and without yeah, that form, like, we wouldn't... I'm the cult leader. Amanda's the admin. That's how this works. Yeah. Wait, and what the am I, story then? of my life... <laughs> Am hey, I listen, just a follower? Hey, listen. Uh, what? Am I a no, cult follower? No, no. Jake, 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 Jake. Is that Jake. where my money's been going? Jake, <laughs> if we're in the room in Star Wars A New Hope, right? Yeah. And Amanda's Tarkin and I'm Vader, okay. I'm choking you. You're Admiral Mahdi. I do have a choking <laughs> thing, so I'm cool with that. <laughs> I think that's a good note for me to end on. Oh no, I think the podcast ends on I do have a choking thing, so I'm okay with that. Quack, quack! Oh, oh wait, let me get one more cowbell hit in before I'm done. I only have a ruler here. I don't know where my drumsticks are, so let's see how this works. Oh, lordy. My it ears. is piercing. It is piercing. It, that, that didn't so much sound in my ears as much as it nearly killed me. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if we've mentioned this, but Jake literally got a new microphone and a King cowbell for Christmas, I think, or one of the holidays. You yeah. sent a picture to, <laughs> to the Discord channel where you where you're like, "Look what I got!" And my brain first went to the mic and was like, "Oh, that's a nice mic." And then my eyes slowly panned <laughs> over to the horrors that was a cowbell, and I immediately knew what it was going to be used for. <laughs> oh man, no one even knew. That's no. the crazy part. Like my. My parents, I guess they kind of know that I do this, but they were the ones that got me the microphone and the cowbell and the drumsticks. But they just like independently thought of those things. Like I asked for the microphone because I needed it for school for the podcast. And then just like out of the blue, they're like, here's a cowbell and some drumsticks. We know that you would like this. (laughs) (laughs) You're you're a trained psychopath (laughs) that thinks things are interesting. (laughs) Oh, Oh, but thank Ah. you, Duckling, so much uh, for listening to this episode and all the episodes prior if you have um we honestly really appreciate it prior to this episode going up there should have been like a lily pad meeting where we talk a little bit about what we want to do with the podcast and where we're going and i think this is the first one we're recording after that where we actually kind of just talked right we just let the conversation go yeah so hopefully people found this intriguing yeah quack at us on twitter at evil quacks otherwise mazzy and i We'll talk to you in the next one. Thanks again. Quack, quack. <laughs>